This episode of Headstrong is sponsored by WPA Health Insurance. Tracing their roots back to 1901, WPA have been providing award-winning health insurance plans to individuals, families and businesses of all sizes across the UK for well over 120 years. With a WPA policy, you'll receive 24-7 access to the WPA Health app, where you can find a wide range of mental health and well-being support resources, along with the ability to submit a claim and manage your policy. You'll also have access to their UK-based customer service team available by phone, through WhatsApp or via live chat. All of this from the UK's highest rated health insurer on Trustpilot. If you'd like more information about WPA's policies, either for you, your family or for your business, visit wpa.org.uk. Terms and conditions apply. Pre-existing conditions will not be covered. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Thank you so much for joining me on Headstrong, man. Thank you for inviting me. I, um, I'm really passionate about this subject, so when I got the offer, I was like, yes, mate, I'll be there to talk about mate, it. Mate, I really appreciate that. You are, as you say, like the, the perfect guest for me. Uh, fitness guru, uh, into mental health, cooks well, eats well, kind of you look after yourself, uh, and I think that's really important. And most importantly, you look after your, your, yeah. your mind. I try my best. I do have days where I still get down and I get flat and, you know, I'm not motivated, I'm not eating great food, and I turn to junk food and binge, and I talk, I'm really open about that. I think it's important to share those moments, those human vulnerable moments where you're not always this super optimistic, positive, mm. perfectly, you know, nutrition and diet. I think sometimes the wheels do fall off the wagon and I, I share that publicly as well. Yeah, you've got to be honest with that, I guess, because I know we'll talk about social media in a bit, but you, it's so easy to project the, the idyllic side of what that looks like on social media. But actually, as you say, you're kind of showing the multifaceted areas of, of what, you're, what, you, what you go through and what everyone, every normal person goes through, right? Yeah, and I realised the more I share about those moments, you know, the binges, the blowouts, the emotional eating, the, the low points, I think the more I could connect with people on a human level. And it, it really made me think, actually, you know what, be honest, be more transparent, be more vulnerable, because then people can connect with you. And it's helped a lot of people, especially when I talk about my mental health and, you know, the documentary I shared, it helped a lot of people just get that conversation going. And that's sometimes the first step, right? It's like the first step towards a workout and moving your body and the first step to opening up and talking 
can honestly change your life in so many positive ways. I mean, what we're here for is to definitely talk about your new book, which is coming out, uh, Feel Good in 15. First question, what number book are we on? This is number 12, my 12th cookbook Amazing. since 2015, which is outrageous. But yeah, this is, um, again, it's the same message over and over again, but it's a different format and it's also promoting much more of the, the mental health benefits, you know, yeah. feeling good, not, not leaning 15 and losing weight and body image transformation. Actually, it's like, let's control the mind. Let's do some positive daily things that can really step you up into a positive mindset, but also keep you there and keep you coming back to it. I think what I loved about it is it just is, it's well-being at the forefront of basically everything, you know, looking at all your life hacks, looking at from, from ice baths to music to food to exercise. It's kind of like, I don't know, like a, a magnifying glass into what you do to make sure that you are kind of able to fire on all cylinders. And when you're not, it doesn't matter because you can still kind of tap into what does make you feel good, right? Yeah, so the concept of feel good, feel good in 15 is you might not have the energy today to a workout. You might be like, you know what, the thought of doing a hit session, it, it just, I cannot do it. I cannot find the energy. I'm really at a low point. But you might say, you know what, I'm going to do one of the life hacks, which could be a cold shower. It could be, you know, a walkie-talkie, which is when you take a call on the go and you walk, you know, and you, it could be a work call, it could be a family call. And talk, communicate and move at the same time. It really elevates your mindset. So little hacks like that and little activities you can do with your kids. Because a lot of times as parents, we rely on devices. We rely on the iPads, the phones, the, you know, Disney Plus. But if you can get into non-screen activities as a family, you can actually connect and all feel a little bit happier and a little bit kind of more positive in the mind. And I think it's just little things, like that. it's little tips and advice that I do as a family mm. um, and that hopefully will inspire other people out there. Yeah, we find ourselves in the kitchen. So in a bit, we're gonna do one of the recipes in here, which I'm gonna time it, 15 minutes. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna make sure we that's the it. promise, 15 minutes <laughs> is the goal. We'll probably, but, we'll probably burn it and end up taking a bit longer, but we'll do our best. <laughs> Before we do kind of jump into cooking that recipe, which I'm really excited to do with you, I kind of first wanna understand, where, when did you first find a passion for food and then cooking? Because it's actually kind of really an incredibly creative skill to be able to put together a recipe. So where did that first kind of passion and understanding come from? It's quite a late um, introduction to food for me because, you know, I've, I've sold a lot of cookbooks, which blows my mind really, but I am a self-taught cook. I learned at the kitchen at home, you know, with my iPhone, you know, I was living in a flat in service and I was just throwing it all in the pan and saying, you know, bosh, wallop, and that right <laughs> there is leaning 15. And it really kind of set me off into that journey of like le learning about food and nutrition, but I had a very unhealthy diet growing up. We lived in a council estate and we were on benefits. You know, I was on free school meals and when we went home, it was Iceland frozen ready meals. It was, you know, I always talk about it, it was just like lunch boxes of full of chocolate and crisps and sandwiches. And it was like, you know, picnic type food. We didn't have food and there was no education around it. My mum left home at 15. She had me very young at 19. And so I didn't learn from my family as such. But once I started cooking, mainly probably around the age of 18, when I started going to university, I loved the idea of just like cooking something healthy that was going to make me feel good. And I started to realise, you know, because back then I was eating KFC and your McDonald's and Burger King, I was eating all of it, I loved it. And I was also, you know, relying on chocolate and fizzy drinks to keep me going. But when you shift to a more whole food, a whole food um, based diet where you're actually cooking with real ingredients, my, my energy just went up through the roof. And so that kind of led me down that path of sharing recipes. And every time I shared a new recipe, I was like, right, I've done a stir fry why not try risotto? Or I've done a risotto, try and make a little pie. So it kind of pushed me. I think Instagram pushed me to try new things and create more recipes. But yeah, I was probably in my early sort of, maybe even later, maybe sort of 1920, I started getting into it. Before that, it was ready, very much like microwave dinners and things like that. Yeah, I mean, something I think about cooking is I find it really therapeutic. Because even if you think you are the world's crappiest cook, like you can actually, if you get in the kitchen, give it a go, 
you, you kind of lose what's actually going on in the real world, so to speak. You're kind of like in the kitchen and just chopping away. You can put some music on. It's quite therapeutic. Yeah, 100%. I find it really relaxing, especially if uh, you've got a good knife. Have a good chopping board and a good knife. Someone bought me a Japanese knife for Christmas. Oh, and it's, I've, it's the first time I've ever had, ever had a good knife. I've normally had like the budget ones you get from the supermarket that get blunt after a few weeks, but this is a proper Japanese knife. And cutting and just actually cooking makes everything so it feels so much nicer. Even with three kids, you know, I love bringing them in the kitchen. I like teaching them to, to love food and to be, to be curious about food. So I think as a parent, you know, we are their role model. So if we can bring them into the kitchen, encourage them to learn to make an omelette or, you know, make their porridge and just put the toppings on, little basic things, I think it's a really good way of setting your child up for a, an adventurous life of food. Otherwise, it's very easy to get stuck into kind of habits and you eat the same stuff and it's on repeat. And I think, you know, cooking together is one of the best skills we can give our children. So I was quite late to the party, but now I'm really passionate about getting families cooking together. How interlinked do you think food and mental health are? So um, this is something I'm really kind of learning about quite recently, you know, the link between our gut and mm -hmm. our brain. And it's blowing my mind, right? Because I've always been about healthy cooking, prep like a boss, you know, avoid the ultra processed foods. But I've just read a book called um, Ultra Processed People. It's blown my mind around, you know, the environment we live in, how everything we eat, we think is healthy, but usually if it's in a cupboard or it's got a layer of film around it, it's been produced somewhere that's got chemicals and all these oils. So yeah, there's a massive, um, a lot of research now that the gut produces the serotonin, there's a link between that and the brain. And so you can essentially, you know, eat yourself into, a, a, you know, a low sense of self-esteem, energy, um, you know, confidence, depression, obviously it's linked to other things, but I'm really all about home cooking. So if you can, you're never going to reduce it all from your life. You're never going to live a life where there's no ultra processed foods in your life. But if you can make a few swaps, maybe just make breakfast at home and take a little lunchbox to work, you know, it means that you're going to defend yourself against the food environment we live in, which is really ultra processed foods. But yeah, man, it's, it's a massive thing. You know, my last book was called um, Feel Good Food. This is Feel Good in 15 because years ago, I would never talk about, I would never have the confidence to talk about mental health. You know, I was a tr traditional trainer that would turn up to a park, get you moving, do the exercise, send on your way. I'd never talk about diet, never talk about mental health. But as the years have gone on, I've realized actually the reason people exercise and what keeps them coming back to it isn't the weight loss it's really the mental health benefits of movement. And so food and sleep and exercise are so interlinked that you have to prioritise them in order to live a healthy life and to have, you know, a nice stable baseline, if you like, of mental health. Right, so let's crack on and uh, to put this recipe to the test. Let's do it. You're going to help out in the kitchen? Uh, yeah, I'll do the washing up. Right, let's do it. Come on <laughs> So we're going to make a recipe for my new book. It's like a really quick sort of cheats plum crumble, right? And I know yeah. you said you never had a plum, so I'm really hoping you enjoy this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to basically throw some plums which yeah. are chopped and there's a stone in the middle of the plum, so deplumb the stones. And we're going to throw these into a saucepan All right. with a little splash of water. If you wanted to get a little splash of water yes, in there, sir. some demerara sugar, so some brown sugar. Yeah. And then we're going to put a little bit of um, vanilla extract, which you travelled so far for today. <laughs> so get a little bit of that in there, it's going to give it a little bit of flavour. And so essentially what's going to happen is they're, they're quite hard at the moment, but they're going to sort of boil down to like a plum jam, if you like. Mm. And that's the base of the crumble. And then we're going to make in another saucepan, we're going to make like the, um, the crumble. So it doesn't actually go in the oven. It's like a stovetop one. So it'll be like with some oats, a little bit of flour, and some chopped nuts and cinnamon. So we'll get a nice crispy crumble, and you stick, stick it on top, and then you've got a really delicious little pudding in like less than 15 minutes. And how often do you kind of get in the kitchen with your kids then? Is that a daily occurrence? My kids are so into cooking. They love it. They're very messy. I've got this little kind of, um, it's like a little workstation that they can stand up on, and they're always fighting to get on there. But yeah, like little things like making porridge or making muffins and making you know an omelette just getting them into food and my kids doing anything because they've always been exposed to that and 
you know, we eat as a family, I think that's an important thing, trying to sit together and enjoy the same food. Because if you just do kids' food, they think, well, it's just going to be the same stuff every night. You've got to try and, you know, keep them, um, keep them curious about food. And I think bringing them into the kitchen is a really good way of doing that. You know, story time. Like, I rush a lot in my life. I rush everything. One thing I will not rush is story time at bedtime. Yeah. Because that's a moment to disconnect, to talk, to like, have a cuddle. And I just hope that my kids love that. Because I really do enjoy I didn't get read too much as a kid. And so, like, for me, one of the most amazing things as a parent is taking that time, even 10 minutes, um, or 15 minutes if you want to do a 15 minute hit. And you know, you all feel good. You have a, a, the oxy, there's, a, there's a chemical called oxytocin, it's the love, love hormone, the love chemical. So you release that and you, you sleep better. So, you know, rather than just going, right, well, have TV until bedtime, brush your teeth, get to bed, to switch in TV for a bit of story time is, is so good for you both. It's so lovely. It's a really yeah, good thing definitely. to do. That's a daily win. That's what I'm talking about in the book. It's not just food and fitness and actual like physical movement. It can be something really simple like that. So a little bit of butter in there. Nice. Get that nice and warm. Right, so the butter's getting nice and warm. Okay, amazing. So now we're going to throw in the demerara sugar. So this is going to make it proper. Like, you know, you get that crumble with yeah. the caramelised burnt crumble on this top. Reminds me of school. Oof. Yeah. It's making a sort of like golden sugary caramel base. That's already, I mean, even without, oh. even without the oats, that smells amazing. Oh, great. Right, so now I'm going to throw in the oats. This is going to make our really sort of nice crispy crumble on top. Oh, it smells amazing. Some uh, hazelnuts. Yeah, give us those hazelnuts. Yeah, there we go. So a little sprinkle of hazelnuts as well for a bit of a nutty crunch. Yes. Mm. I might add a tiny bit, a fraction of water, just a tiny bit more. So you don't want them to burn into the bottom of the pan. That's it, yeah, like a little bit more water. All right, give that a little shake. Right, so here's the, this is like the plum crumble, so this is the base. These have gone nice and soft now. Yeah. This, this is obviously taking just about 10 minutes to make them nice and soft. If they were really ripe, it wouldn't have taken so long. We've got the sugar in there. Look, I mean, look, that's golden mm. brown, mate. Yeah. <laughs> so here we go, so I'll stick a bit on top. Oh, God, they're, that's a really the hot sizzle. bit of crumble, that. Oh, I do love a good bit of crumble. Chin chin. Oh. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> Oh, it's hot, mate. Yeah? I don't know what your tongue's like, but that is going to be really hot. God. Is that all right? That's delicious. So what's your thought on, thoughts on plums, then? Yep. You, I think you're, we're, you're on board? We're getting, I'm getting on board. Cool. You might, do you drink hot drinks? Because that is piping hot. I yeah, that's good. I can't um, eat that yet. Mmm. Oh, maybe I'm putting on a load of crumble as well. This episode of Headstrong is sponsored by WPA Health Insurance. Tracing their roots back to 1901, WPA have been providing award-winning health insurance plans to individuals, families, and businesses of all sizes across the UK for well over 120 years. With a WPA policy, you'll receive 24-7 access to the WPA Health app, where you can find a wide range of mental health and wellbeing support resources, along with the ability to submit a claim and manage your policy. You'll also have access to their UK-based customer service team available by phone, through WhatsApp, or via live chat. All of this from the UK's highest-rated health insurer on Trustpilot. If you'd like more information about WPA's policies, either for you, your family, or for your business, visit wpa.org.uk. Terms and conditions apply. Pre-existing conditions will not be covered. So some 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. That I want to talk about, and I know that you've talked about it in detail with your documentary on various podcasts as well. But your upbringing, because that was most definitely an incredibly challenging time in your life, but in your family's life. Yeah, I've been really open about my childhood because I think, looking back, you know, it's shaped me and it's driven me to become the person I am today. Um, and if you've seen my documentary or my podcast I did with Desert Island Disc, I talk about, you know, my parents' mental health issues. Um, because at the time, so my dad was suffering with, um, you know, heroin addiction from a very young age. So from the age of like probably 18, he was in hard, into hard drugs. So I grew up in that environment where drugs were present and when someone's using heroin, they're just completely vacant. They're not really there. So I had him there for periods of time, but also he'd disappear to rehab for six months or he'd be using again and kicked out living with his mum. So that, that was one thing to deal with. Alongside that, you know, my mum's childhood trauma manifested in extreme OCD, like cleaning the house like three, four, five times a day. Like it was like walking into an Ikea show home. So as a young kid, I couldn't bring friends home. I couldn't have my shoes on. I couldn't, I had to clean and hoover and iron my bed sheets and things. So it was a really weird environment and also with that com came confrontation where I'd be fighting with my mum, I'd be worried about my dad, trying to care for him, care for my mum. So I was a, a young carer, if you like. Um, and the only thing that saved me, I honestly believe, is PE and sport, because that was my release. That was my way of dealing with the anxiety and the, 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 the instability of life and the fear that I probably felt. And I was a happy boy, I think, because of that. I think I just had, I had love and I had sport and fitness, and that for me was enough, because I wasn't talking about things at the time. You know, I'd had uh, something would go on, let's say the police would raid the house at two in the morning and break, break the door down because they thought there was drugs there or something. And then I'm, you know, going to school at 7am, trying to be a happy little kid. And there's... Putting on a facade. Yeah, just trying to be a normal kid. And I couldn't go in and say this because I thought they'd take me away from my mum and dad. I thought that there'd be, child protection would come and take me away. So there's always this sort of feeling of, we can't talk about what's happening. And so I was a bit of a disruptive kid. You know, I was the naughty kid. I, I suppose the class clown and a bit of an attention seeker. But PE and sport I loved when I was the kid that they wanted in the class. They, didn't, they never kicked me out of PE. I got kicked out of every other set, set subject in, in, in school, but I was that kid that just needed someone to say, you know, how, what's going on? Like, why are you playing out? Why are you attention-seeking? What's wrong with you? But at, back in the day, I don't think they asked those questions back then. Yeah, I think, I think the infrastructure in place now is far greater to be, kind of see those signs of what might be causing that disruption, might, what might be causing you to excel in you know in something that's going to make you feel good because you enjoyed sport the release of the endorphins the serotonin and all that the, the great feelings but actually what you're experiencing on the other side of it was w whether you use the words or not was kind of detrimental to your own mental health yeah definitely yeah it's a tough time but also i think you know i'm one of these people that hasn't got resentment about my past i think it 
it shaped me, it helped me become, you know, I'm a very loyal, faith, faithful husband, I'm stable, I'm with my kids, I want to be a dad, I don't want to just bail. Because when you're an addict, you're very selfish, the world rolls around you and when things are tough, you just run away and you use, you know, because it was him, his way of dealing with that. And so I want to I wanna be present, I want to be a, a good dad. So I think I've learned from that, I've learned from my mum, you know, how to look after myself, how to cook and clean and how to take care of myself. So it's like, it was a weird and chaotic environment, but it's, it's brought me out into be a, to be a good and an ambitious person that's really now all about helping other people, right? So I think I'm kind of proud of my childhood. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing. You know, I wouldn't look back and go, I wish that was different because I've got a good fr friendship and relationship with my mum and dad now. Yeah, I think that's really important to, to know that now as well, because you can reflect on it and acknowledge what was going on. But when you were growing up, were you aware that that was kind of mental health? Like, when did you first become aware of your mental health? I don't think the, the topic of mental health was a thing. This is in 1985 I was born, so let's say it's 1990, you know. I just thought my mum was a, a bit of a nutter and my, my dad was like a drug addict. I didn't understand that. Why are they doing that? What are they, what are they trying to numb themselves from? What are they trying to... What's their childhood trauma? And obviously now with the documentary, it kind of opened things up. Mm. But, you know, I knew that when I did PE and exercise, when I physically exhausted myself, like doing an 800-metre race or doing a football match, like, I just felt better at the end of it. I felt calm and I wasn't anxious about going home because I thought, there's nothing that can happen back at the house that's going to that's gonna do me in because I've just physically pushed myself. I'm, sh I'm mentally strong and resilient, do you know what I mean? So I taught myself that, but I didn't know mum and dad had mental health issues at the time. Um, and even they didn't know. They didn't accept that, you know, because my mum went to a rehab for six months when, when I was a little boy and I didn't even remember it. Kind of, I blocked that memory out because she had to, you know, look at herself in the mirror and say, what's going on? Like, she was so skinny, my mum, she didn't eat, lived off cigarettes and cans of coke and things, and she had to address that, and now she's gone through so much therapy, she's in a much better place. And same with my dad, you know, he's, he's in and out of NA, but he still goes back to it, it keeps him clean, he's got that, you know, network of people that he talks to, but, yeah, it's very, it's, it, I'm a success story in a sense that my dad didn't die, and my mum got through her trauma and her suffering as well, so I'm very grateful that they're alive and that I've got a friendship, because I think if I had lost my dad to heroin addiction, I would have carried that anger and resentment my whole life. Mm. I'm just so grateful that he got clean, he, he sorted himself out and that he's around today to, to, be with, to be in my life. When you were growing up, naturally with that, the difficulties of the, the addiction and the OCD, who did you look to for a role model? Well, I was an angry teenager. So as a kid, I was hyperactive and I just sort of like, I didn't let it affect me. But as a teenager, when, when you're going through that constantly every year, like he's clean, our oh, dad's back, things are good, mum and dad are together, and then he's relapsing and using again. It's like, how can you not stay clean? Like, how is, how is us as a family not enough to keep you off the drugs? And I didn't understand at the time how powerful addiction is and how, you know, in that moment, like, it was really difficult for him. But, you know, I think I had to go through that in order to get the compassion and understanding of, of my dad and who he is. But as a teenager, I was very angry, very resentful, you know, didn't deal with it very well. And I think that was the time PE really stepped up for me because I was doing GCSE PE. I decided to go to, you know, university to become a PE teacher. And my, my male role model PE teachers are always young, always fun. They yeah. wanted me there. They, they gave me the kit and I said, they said, right, come in weeks to get everyone out on the pitch. So I was rounding people up. Imagine. So like I am now trying to round you up to get you moving off the sofa and get you moving now with the PE with Joe stuff. I was trying to do that, but within the school environment because everyone else would be like, not that into it. And I said, come on, I can't play football without you. We've got to go and do it. So I was a positive kind of energy in that environment. But when you put me in a maths or English class, I couldn't sit still leaning back on my chair, throwing things, trying to make people laugh, farting on cue, trying to make people like, distract everyone. And so I was annoying little 
bastard, but actually I was a good kid who just needed someone to say, like, what's going on, you know, could you want to talk? And maybe I would have had an easier time at school if someone had reached out and just said, look, what's happening? But I think instinctively they knew that something was going on and they knew that PE was my channel because they always used to say, right, get him out on the field, get him running. And yeah, when I went yeah. back into the class, I was a different kid. I was a happier kid, you know what I mean? Yeah, you had that release and you, as you say, it's like it was a, it was a distraction from probably what was going on and you were immersed into this world. It's something that you could thrive at as well. A, di a distraction and also, um, you know, because I, I wasn't talking, but I think some people are really good at releasing things through communication and talking and other people, for them, it's, they're more introvert, but they're more, it's a more physical thing. You release energy that way. So I've always been more of a, you know, more of a physical guy, but I do also believe the power of talking that sometimes you know, when you're having an argument in your head with someone that you think is going gonna, gonna to manifest and it never happens, but when you talk and you actually realise, you know what, they weren't even thinking that thing about me, that's just my negative thought. So I think there's power in movement and there's power in talking. And when you combine the two together, like I said, with the, with the walkie-talkie thing where you go, right, do I need to take this call on Zoom and on laptop yeah. and see the person's face? Or can I walk around Richmond Park for half an hour and talk to that person? And, and most of the time you don't need to see their face. And it's a really powerful way of combining movement and fresh air with, with, with your work or like a communication. And that's like the best thing, I think. That is such, a, such an important thing. It's such a, how many times do you sit on a Zoom and you go, I don't, we don't need to be sat facing each other yeah. at it's all. It's a simple thing that any kind of company can incorporate as well to their day. Like, look, just encourage your team to go and take a call on the, on the go. Have a walkie-talkie and, and watch when they come back in, their energy's improved and their, yeah, their ideas are better. And in terms of that verbal release that we talk about there, do you remember the first time that you went to therapy? So I remember being at um, school, probably primary school, maybe like 10 or 11. And my mum and dad were obviously, they were in, in therapy at the time. So they were doing NA and narcotic anonymous meetings. And there was one called Al-Anon, which I think is for like families and children. Um, and I remember going and I thought, this isn't for me. I just didn't feel like I needed to talk because I was actually, I was actually quite okay. I felt like I, even though there's all this stuff going on, I, I was quite a happy child. My brother Nicky was much more introvert. He bottled things up a lot more. Mm. I was quite vocal. Like if I was upset or angry, I'd, I'd, I'd verbalise that. But yeah, I just didn't think it was for me. But as an adult, I've you know recently been more interested in, in trying out therapy because it's one of those things that like preventative stress and preventing a burnout, preventing some kind of crisis. And I think there's you know I invest in acupuncture and I do ice baths and I do the massage, but I'm not doing as much for my mind. And so I'm starting to now think I'd like a therapist. But I'm asking myself the question is do I want it to be a male or a female? Because I feel like my issues are like, they're male problems, but would it be nice to hear from a woman's perspective? Mm. Or do I need a man to like, agree with me and go, yeah, I know what you're talking about. So I'm kind of undecided on how to find a therapist. Um, and also being in the media, like, it's, it's nerve-wracking because you know, your deepest, darkest thoughts and things you feel and your insecurities, like, do you really want to speak, speak to a stranger about them? It's quite, it's quite daunting. But I also know from friends and family members that therapy is always a positive thing. It's never a negative thing. Like, it's always an elevation of what you're doing. And, I'm at the point now I'm thinking I might like to invest in a therapist. Yeah, I think uh, I'm really lucky. I've, I've seen the same therapist for 15 years now, which is a hell of a long time. And they saw me from when I was kind of 13 as a kid up to now. And, you know, the, the plethora of kind of conversation that's happened and what I've gone through is vastly different. But he's been, through, been there as a, as a constant and a solid because I've actually needed to get it out and release it. Uh, and, you know, for some people, bottling it up, fine, it works, but I think that's quite a dated thing now. You yeah. need to be able to release it, be that a physical release, or that verbal and kind of emotional release. That's amazing that you've had the same therapist. And to go through adolescence as well, like, because you're constantly changing, aren't you? Who you are at 13 and 15 and 18, you're, it must be really interesting to see you grow and evolve. But yeah, I think that's amazing that you stuck with the same person as opposed to like, oh, I'm bored of this, I want to move on and have that new love feeling. But I think the consistency with one person is probably really powerful. But yeah, I'm really open to it. I'm, I'm, I think it's an amazing investment if you can. 
in your mind and yeah. you know when you wake up in your mind the first thoughts you think about like you know and if you can con control those feelings a little bit more and those thoughts and learn to live with certain feelings that you know are difficult then I think you can be a much happier human being. And in terms of that emotional release something that is not really talked about or is getting better but men and crying because I think for me and I know that you know people that I've spoken to on this platform before an emotional release of crying is the, often such a big relief. I mean, do you remember the last time that you cried? I mean, I cried a couple of days ago when um, an Instagram reel popped up of you know what's going on at the moment in um, in obviously Palestine and Israel. Like it's so traumatic to see, and you sort of think that's not affecting me. I can just walk away. But then it was one video of you know a, a mum and she lost her child, and I I just burst into tears in the Uber because I'm like this is real and I could feel for the first time I connected like real emotion and thinking imagine if that was my daughter or my child like it's unbearable so yeah I cry a lot and I you know I, I tell people I cry and I've cried on Instagram I've cried on TV I cry in most podcasts I do because I sometimes find when I think about my child self like I feel quite emotional about that that individual but I think it's amazing like you know I cry watching films especially when I'm flying I always seem to cry when I'm in the air like <laughs> tucked in like with my like headphones on just whimpering in the corner like and I've got my wife next to me but yeah, it is important to cry because you think when you're a kid, when you fall over, you cry. When you're upset, when anything stresses you out, you cry, you deal with it, you move on. Whereas as adults, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen my dad truly cry. You know, like a little tear came out during the documentary, but it was like for two seconds. Mm. You know, I've never seen my dad truly cry. I've seen my mum cry a lot. But yeah, I think men and boys should cry and it's, and it's fine. It's, like you said, it's not just like... An emotional, an emotional, it's just a physical energy that's oh, released. Really you're really actually, it's, it's tiring. Yeah. Crying is exhausting. But you feel like, oh, you know, I feel a bit lighter. So, yeah, boys should cry more and um, you know, never be embarrassed about it at all. I think also as well, what you said there was really powerful because I imagine you would definitely consider yourself a role model for your own children. Obviously for all, all the people that have watched you in, in, on various things. But most importantly, you probably take pride in being the role model for your own kids. Yeah, I try to be a positive role model. So, I, mean, I try to, you know, talk about vulnerabilities and, and, and weaknesses and insecurities, and especially... Um, when I do the school visits, like it's, it's okay, I visit schools all over the UK and I, I talk about you know, emotions and the little cloud that might be over your head or those feelings in your tummy. Because I know when I do these workouts, I look out into the crowd and I can see the children going through difficulties. Mm. It's like, it slows down almost and I see all the star jumps and I just see a kid and they're just standing there and they're vacant, and they're withdrawn. The and I see the sadness in them. And then what I love is that they aren't into it and then a song will kind of come on and they'll like start doing a little bit of running on the spot and I see the transition and then by the end of it, they've got a smile on their face because eventually like, the, the mood picks up and they, they forget about what's going on because the, you know, there's obviously a lot of kids going through a lot of trauma. There's, I'm going to schools in really deprived areas as well where you know, there was one school I visited just outside of um, Belfast where in the past year, 10 parents have died from addiction and suicide in a school of like 400, right? So I'm seeing their children right there and it's really emotional, it's giving me a little bit of an emotional, it's giving me goosebumps a little bit. I also see the power in exercise and movement, and so I think, you know, you can help people get through difficult times if they're willing to move and use exercise as a, as a tool, but it is really sad. There's a massive crisis on our hands at the moment with young people, with technology, social media, parents suffering, no one talking, and, you know, everyone looking through the lens of social media thinking that life's perfect everywhere, but... You know, I think you should get children talking about mental health and their mood and their feelings from the youngest possible age. Toddlers, you know, how are you feeling? Oh, I feel a bit red or I feel like I've got this grey cloud on my head and how do we remove that cloud? Like this language can be used in a way that is accessible to children where, and normalising talking about this stuff.
Because I'm seeing children seven years old with anxiety, they can't be in school, you know, self-harming at nine, ten years old. It's like getting earlier and earlier and younger and younger. Um, and we need to talk about it. So things like this podcast, like this is amazing. I'm sure you've got young teenagers and young adults who are probably really struggling who get a lot of value from this, just from these conversations. So I'm hoping that helps them. to. Yeah, man, definitely. I think what you, I mean, again, with your platforms, everything that you do, you take so much pride in what you do, but it's all, you know, as, as this kind of personifies, it's that well-being is important and needs to be talk, talked about and you need to put that at the forefront of what you do. But notably with social media for you, do you feel the pressure of what you post because of the, the reach that you have, but do you feel like you need to make sure that you are, you know, as, as we said earlier, kind of showcasing Joe Wicks as the whole person, not just the, the fitness guru, the chef and stuff like that. Yeah. It's so important to kind of be, I guess, conscious of what is going out there. I definitely don't feel um, a pressure and I don't, I'm not someone who like jumps on trends. You know, if engagement drops on recipes, I'm not standing there like pointing and doing the dances and the reels. I just think keep posting what you really believe in. And for me, it's just like inspiring stories, um, healthy recipes and workouts, right? So I keep it quite simple. Um, but there's a responsibility, of course, because if I talk about something in a passionate way, like I'm, I'm talking about the ultra processed food, food thing at the moment because I am like trying to help parents and, and children reduce it from their diet. But yeah. it's how you communicate, isn't it? Because some people cannot afford to buy avocados, even like fresh fruit and vegetables. So you know, you've got to just do it in a way that is accessible, that isn't focusing on the solu- sorry, that isn't focusing on the problem that is coming more from a solution-based thinking. And you know, I do think that when I share something, I'm always thinking that, is this going to make someone feel good? move, cook, laugh, is it positive, is it inspiring? And I just stick to those principles really. And I'm kind of repetitive. I've been saying the same thing for sort of 10 years now. Yeah, but again, as you say, you're passionate about it. So as you know, it's like on the Instagram reels, you're not gonna change your message to try and be relevant. You wanna stick to your guns on what you truly believe and live by. That's important. I think when you follow people on Instagram, like, you know, let's say they're a fitness influencer, and then they become a travel influencer and now they're doing fashion. It's quite confusing, isn't it? But whereas I've always been about the same things, you know, keeping it simple with the food and training and, and been very, very consistent with that message. And so I think that's why my audience has grown. And, you know, there's nearly like 11 million people that listen to my message because if I jumped from thing to thing and one minute it's like promoting this and that, and I'm very much like about, you know, the simple things, which is cooking and exercising at home, like making it accessible. And that's really where my brand's grown, I think, making it, friendly and family orientated and also non-judgmental and kind of welcoming if, if you like. And in terms of um, on the other side of the food and if you're happy to talk about it I just want to talk about and it's not just you but just in general the culture of alcohol in this community because we'll use it as an easy escape in the short term when actually the day after you're going to feel crap and probably the day after that as well you're still kind of catching up on your sleep and actually you know fine but I'm by all means, go, go for a drink. But I think that there's a bit of a problem in this country in terms of that binging side of it and the relationship in which we meet up with each other around a drink. Do you want to go for a drink? You know? Yeah, look, I'm not a massive drinker. Even as a teenager, like, I didn't drink till I was probably um, you know, 17, 18. I was probably a bit older and I never really enjoyed that feeling of being drunk. Like, I like a gin and tonic. I do have a gin, gin and tonic collection at home, but it's more of a, you know, with, with a dinner or like a nice flavour thing. But yeah, there is a culture around, you know, and pressure, like if you are the guy, if you're Frank the Tank, the one that's always boozing, always making everyone laugh, and you're turning up to the parties, everyone's expecting to be that guy all the time. And I, and I see that in friends where they're always the one buying the bottles of, you know, vodka and the one doing the shots. And I can see they don't necessarily want to be doing that. You know, you can see it sometimes, can't you? And 
I think sometimes you've got to break away from that stereotype of what you're supposed to be as a young guy, especially if it's around football and rugby and cricket. Like, you can still have an amazing experience about the booze, but for me, when I drink, it's not like I wake up feeling guilty, but I wake up feeling really tired, really like, you know, bloated, and I eat loads of crap food, I don't work out, and I'm not really my full self, because it's a massive depressant, isn't it? We don't talk about it, but mm. it's one of these things that's so acceptable, but you're literally putting something in your body that is gonna make you feel depressed. Well, Even if it if was invented now, it would be illegal. Exactly, yeah. Even if you're someone who's really upbeat and positive, like booze has a massive effect. So it has an effect on your work, your relationships, your, um, your diet, your training. And so it's a kind of sacrifice, right? You can't, you can't have both. Like, do you want to smash it and have a boozy weekend and just cane it all weekend? Or do you want to have a positive weekend where you know what I'm going to do some exercise and prep some meals for the week ahead? Um, like I said, I'm not an all or nothing kind of guy. I don't think you've got to be living completely sober to be happy. I think having an occasional drink is fine, but it's about having those boundaries and regulating a little bit and reducing it where you can. If you know you're not a good drunk and it affects you, Try try get another hobby where on a Friday night you go indoor rock climbing or you go out on your electric skateboard. There's other there's so many more fun things that aren't just being in the pub boozing. But once you're in that environment, you know, it's very difficult because it's like, you know, it's there and everyone's at it and you just go, Well, I'm just gonna join them then. It's so difficult to become self-reflective on that kind of thing though, I think. You know, if you say often people will wait till the, one of your mates says to you, Yeah, I think you're kind of overdoing it slightly. When actually we need to become more aware of ourselves and just be self-aware. And I think what you're so good at is keeping in check with yourself. What do you kind of do? You, you meditate a lot, don't you? I mean, that's something that keeps you, uh, keep, keeps your mental health in check, right? Yeah, well, I, I, I say I meditate, but it's the one thing of all the things I do. Like, I can really nail the sleep, you know, when my kids aren't keeping me awake, and I can really nail the food and the actual training. But the meditation thing, I can't, it, it isn't, it's not sticky. It's not mm. sticky in terms of, like, I was doing, like, quite challenging transcendental meditation like 15 minutes a day twice a day um, and I was like this is amazing but I just thought you know what I'd rather be reading books with the kids or going around the park with the boys and on the on the skateboards or going out on the motorbike so I find other ways to be mindful yes. but yeah when I do have a really stressful day like I can come back I use obviously the headspace and the calm app and I love the sleep stories and things like that so I, I use them in different ways but ultimately it's really like you shouldn't pressure yourself to be a meditator if you struggle with it but maybe find something that is more mindful like you know I, I know this is weird but I love um, colouring in like I started doing it with my kids when we go for dinner they have colouring books so now I've got these really beautiful like detailed colouring books where I'll just sit for 10 minutes do that or I'll play the guitar for 10 minutes and that's my men that's therapeutic. yeah that's my meditation so things like that also cooking's meditation I think if you do it in a nice way with a nice bit of jazz music on in the background yeah. a bit of Ludovico and Audi but I think yeah it's just there's a pressure to sort of think that you have to be sitting but I think walking meditation as well like being outside is really powerful and just try out a few different things. Yeah, I think you're right, doing something at the same time. I think, uh, and I know that this definitely isn't for everyone, but obviously ice baths as well, and just getting control of your breathing. Because actually you're just there in the moment and all you're thinking about right there and then is that moment of being like, when am I getting out, when am I getting out? Have you tried it yourself? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, I, uh, I, haven't, I haven't gone to the point of purchasing one yet. I'm not sure if I can do it, but what I always try and do is end my shower with a, a cold blast of at least 30 seconds to a minute. Because not only is that, you know, it's great, great just for, the mindfulness side of it, but it kind of just gets, it's like, a, it's like having a coffee. Like yeah. It gets you up. I started the day with a cold shower, so yeah, obviously I'm lucky that I've got an ice bath, um, but it's like a, a luxury thing that you don't necessarily need that to still get the benefits. So I started out just cold showers, and I, I'm a cold in, cold out guy. So I, I run it cold, um, I'm in there, and you know, this nerve here, the vagus nerve, this mm. is supposed to be really good for sort of getting blood flow to the brain and sort of releasing serotonin and dopamine in the body. So trying to just not go like, 
you know, ugh, in and out, like let it run down your neck and back a little bit. And it's amazing, like it clears your mind, mm. it helps you control your breathing. Because even this morning I was out of breath and I, I thought about getting out, but I just thought to breathe for 10 seconds and you really can control that anxious kind of shallow breathing. Um, and yeah, like it's mood boosting, feel electric. And when your boiler breaks, you're not scared of it because you're already at it, you know what I mean? So you ain't got to worry about hot water when it goes out because you're hardcore and you do it all year round. So something else that we can uh, talk about, and I know you're probably sick of, sick of it, but ultimately it's given you an enormous magnified kind of platform is lockdown, right? And I know that from my understanding, I believe your second day of lockdown, you had 954K viewers live. Yeah. And then you had within, I think it was a week, 10 million views of that episode. Yeah, it's pretty wild. It, went, it blew up so quick, you know? So I was obviously on this mission. I was visiting schools. I was doing a few lives now and again, but you'd get like a thousand live streams maybe from schools at, at push. So when lockdown happened, obviously I was like, I'm gonna do the live workout, see how it goes. Yeah, and on the second day, nearly a million live streams and it was very nerve-wracking because I didn't realise it was going to be so big and I didn't realise there'd be parents and kids and everyone watching me but you know I, that was my gift to the world because we were so anxious everyone was worried and pulled away from friends and family and I knew that if I could just get you in the living room with your, with your family your kids like jumping around having fun bit of music you know bit of dancing and obviously the, the silly billies and the <laughs> I had to spot the difference and the quizzes it just made it it made it dynamic and it made it interactive so that even if you hated exercise you might sit there and go oh look he's moved the guitar or I can spot the, um, he's put an apple there and yes, there was a pear, like little things like that to make it for children that might not be into fitness. And yeah, it blew it, it obviously blew things up, but I was really on that mission for so many years before that point. And I know that, yeah, exactly, absolutely. In terms of that time in particular, but even now I'm sure, you must have had thousands of people even just DMing you, messaging you, kind of wanting to get, get in touch with you and actually say, hey, thank you. But also sometimes you might get some people in some darker places going, you know, I actually kind of looking for help. Is there anything that kind of sticks out in your memory? I mean, there's a box in my garage at home. I've got two drawers full of boxes of letters and cards that were sent and like funny little like people that would knit me or they'd like little teddy bears with me and stuff. And I, I kept those because it's that thing I look back on when I, you know, the human connection was really strong, but at the time I didn't see it because it was just a lens. It was me and the camera and it was obviously YouTube views and followers and Instagram, but I didn't feel the connection. When I stopped and actually like processed all these letters, I sat there, read them all myself. I was in tears. It was so emotional. A lot of it was gratitude, but a lot of it was from people that were so down, lost their wife or their partner, or they were like living on their own. And so it's an amazing moment to read those. But the DMs were every day, you know, people tagging me in, in their costumes. And it was, it was such a full on thing. I never got to stop for one second. So I think in that process, I was very much distracted. I didn't really accept the pandemic. I didn't acknowledge it, do you know what I mean? But then when it stopped, and I had this moment, I was like, wow, like, that was a really tough time. And I'm, I'm so grateful for people because it helped me. It, it distracted me and it made me and my family get through it a lot quicker, I think, as well. If we have a look at now then, what would you say to somebody who is anxious and scared of reaching out in terms of kind of whatever emotions they're going through, but someone who is struggling with their kind of mental health and well-being? Well, I get a lot of DMs still from people that, you know, are in that position that are um, depressed, anxious, um, they're overeating, that, you know, in some cases suicidal. I do have people message me, it's really tough and I, I never ignore it, you know, that's the most important thing because I want, if they're reaching out to me and I know I'm a complete stranger, but I sometimes, I might not be in the mindset to do it there and then, so I'll flag it and I'll come back to that flag inbox and I'll send a voice note. Just listening, listening back, asking some questions, you know, the simplest thing sometimes, like, you know, what are you waiting for? Let's just say it's someone who's really depressed and they're binge eating, I say, you know, what are you waiting for? And they always get quite, they're thrown by that. They're like, I don't know what I'm waiting for. I don't know what it is. And it's like a little moment just to kind of get them thinking about what is the solution to this? Um, 
you know, the first step really is to be kind to yourself and understand that you're not alone. So many people, whether you're affluent or you're suffering with the cost of living crisis, when you see what's going on in the world, it's very overwhelming. It's very emotional to see wars and people dying and to see people, you know, battling with their mental health and, and lots of stuff going on in, in the country and the world that make you feel like everything's shit, right? But it's not shit. That's just one part of the world and it's one thing that's happening, but you can, you can find some, you know, if you can find some moments to bring some presence back to the day, like to be in the moment, and that really comes through, you know, sleep and exercise and putting good food in your body where you start to feel more present in the day. And I think it is difficult when it's the last thing you want to do. Like the last thing you want to do is move your body and exercise and get in the kitchen and cook. But those three little things alongside with actually talking to someone, they can save your life but also transform your life in a very short period of time. Yeah. You know, so reach out, make the call, and if you're like resentful because you had a row with your brother six months ago and haven't spoke to him, like you're both hurting and you both need to heal that. And sometimes you've got to be the one that, you know, it takes your defence down and says, oh, I'm gonna reach out and, and swallow some pride a little bit. Because then suddenly that relationship that's niggling at your mind that you're you know, that you're not you're not happy about can suddenly be healed and then you can move on to the next thing. Yeah, I think shifting that mindset is so important. I always try and start the day with like those, those small wins. And I know it's simple, but people with, who are experiencing depression, even the idea of making that bed is difficult. But getting that small win of making the bed, making sure your room is tidy, having a good breakfast, even just going for a 10 minute walk in the morning, immediately you can go, I've already achieved quite a lot today. Yeah, I believe that, that small kind of, it's like a serotonin dopamine kind of reward system. So, you know, you get that normally from your phone, you just look at it and you know, your brain's getting flooded. But if you have a cold shower and make your bed or like, you just like clean your cupboard for five minutes, there's something really therapeutic about that. It's like when you know, when your room's a mess or you clean your car out, every single bit of dirt or rubbish you get out of the room and all the cars, you start to feel good. That's a real thing happening in the brain. So, like I said, feel good in 15 isn't about smashing yourself with a hip workout and bouncing around your living room. There's so many wonderful things you can do. Like one of the things is, I take my kids in the garden, we get little stones and rocks and we take them inside and we paint them. Like, and then we just put them back in the garden. Like, but that's a nice thing to do. You, it's creative, it's fun, it's like it's a, it's a calm thing to do as opposed to sticking on the PlayStation or jumping onto Instagram to get that hit. And I think you've got to kind of do more human activities that don't involve a screen and a device. And that is the key, I think, because we're so dependent on that for our dopamine. We're so, our brain's flooded from the second we wake up. So one of the things is, can you spend the first 15 minutes of your day without looking at your phone? Mm. And that's very hard. Some days, 15 seconds after waking up, I'm on Instagram. Other days, half an hour goes by and I'm like, do you know what, I feel great. So you're not going to win every day, you're not going to get it right every day, but you've got to just keep coming back to those small little hacks and you know, win some time back where you're not plugged into the algorithm. algorithm. I mean, what you've got in there is great, but what I want to ask you is actually put it back to you is how often do people check in on you personally, be that friends and family, and kind of, as you say to the people who kind of um, say, you know, message you on your Instagram, what are you waiting for? Yeah, I do get a lot of people reach out, and it, sometimes it's my brother or my dad or my mum, or sometimes it's a complete stranger, which is also nice, because it means they're thinking about you, and usually it's because I go quiet on social media. Say I have about four or five days off. They're like, oh, where are you? Are you okay? What's going on? But if I'm off social media, it's because I'm happy, because I'm with my kids, I'm de-stressing, I'm just being present. So never think it's because I'm in a bad place, it's because I'm in a good place. Um, but yeah, you know, for me, it's just about the daily things, getting those things right. And for me, it really comes down to the sleep. Like if I'm not well slept, I don't want to train. I eat shit food, I'm craving all the junk food like anyone else. So getting the sleep right, and that's difficult with kids. But um, yeah, I think you just got to keep, keep it up. And it's, it's an ongoing thing, right? Like fitness, you know, you can be strong one week and you can be 
feeling great. And if you miss it for six weeks or a few months, you, you lose that strength. And I think the brain's the same. You've got to kind of do the daily things regular to keep that baseline level um, up there. And you're not going to be happy every day. Like, no one is happy 24-7. But there's little things you can do just to win that little kind of, like that little positive moments to feel good and feel like the world's not falling apart. And actually there's good stuff happening. And one of the things you now I do is a daily gratitude list. And that mm -hmm. really comes from my dad and my brother who are in NA. And when you go through the 12 steps of recovery, one of the things they say is like, you know, find a higher power and be grateful for things in your life. And so my brother George is working the steps and he sends me every day 10 points of things he's grateful for. And so I'll send a few back to my mum and dad and Nikki and George. And it's like a really wonderful thing to do. You haven't got to sit there with a journal writing down things. You can actually just, a simple little text gives you like that moment. Say, I'm so glad, mum, that you're alive and that you were here last night to have dinner with me. Or thank you, Rosie, for getting the kids to school on time this week. I know it's not easy and you're stressed and stuff. So it's these little things that really make you feel grateful. And when you feel true gratitude, you don't feel like everything around you is falling apart and that you've, you've got so much, so much missing. Actually, you've got loads of good things in your life. You might be interested in this. One of the th things that my therapist has got me started doing recently is uh, at, at midday each day is uh, write a worry list of if I'm feeling anxious about anything, write everything down that I'm worried about at that moment. And if it's to do with work, if it's personal, whatever, first thing to go through each one again and then go, can I deal with that? Can I actually do anything about that? Can I control it? If not, it's a waste of your space. You shouldn't. Be, that's something that you need to be able to compartmentalise and understand that you can't control that. The next thing is then rank them in order of priority. What needs to be done immediately, whether that is work or personal life, and then you can just actually start targeting them. And I found that I found that really beneficial. So I yeah. didn't know that's a that's a that's great idea. Like, I think that's good prioritising them and also ticking them off. Just knowing yeah. that oh, I've done that, I've dealt with that, and that weren't so bad. Or that one didn't even happen. Like the one that big one I thought was going to happen, mm. like you know, nervous about doing so or fearful of quitting a diet or something like actually it didn't happen i'm still going so yeah a lot of power in that a lot of power in lists and ticking boxes off and stuff it's yeah. it's really simple things that we don't necessarily do because it's all on the phone isn't it whereas if you write it down on paper uh, there's more power than that there's more power in that yeah uh, my final question joe is what does the word headstrong mean to you what does the word headstrong mean to me i think it means having the ability to know that you're always going to have thoughts you know intrusive thoughts negative thoughts stressful thoughts but you can have strategies in place that can help you let them pass through your brain like a train station. I always think about that, like they're just thoughts that can pass through. Sometimes they'll stop in the station and they'll, they'll eat you up, but actually you can always let them go. And that's the thing, it's learning that the brain's like a processor and we can put certain information into it and we can do certain things that will allow us to feel less stressed and to feel calmer. And that's kind of all the things I promote in the book and obviously with social media. And yeah, it's knowing that you're not gonna be buzzing 24 seven and it's okay to feel a bit sad but you can lift yourself up. You can. If you, haven't got, you haven't got to rely on someone else externally, like a job promotion or more money or a car. Like you can do stuff internally. Like Happiness is an inside job, right? And you can actually bring it out from yourself through certain strategies like med meditation and breathing and you know, exercise and, and, and you know, holding hands, kissing, making love. There's loads of things you can do. It hasn't got to be smoking, booze, drugs, porn, phone addiction. There's other things that are way more beneficial that are going to really help you through those negative times. Hey man, thank you so much for coming on. Literally, I'm a big supporter and fan of everything you do, so really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much, man. Keep doing the great work. You're really helping a lot of people. Really appreciate it. Man. This episode of Headstrong is sponsored by WPA Health Insurance. Tracing their roots back to 1901, WPA have been providing award-winning health insurance plans to individuals, families, and businesses of all sizes across the UK 
for well over 120 years. With a WPA policy, you'll receive 24-7 access to the WPA Health app, where you can find a wide range of mental health and well-being support resources, along with the ability to submit a claim and manage your policy. You'll also have access to their UK-based customer service team available by phone, through WhatsApp, or via live chat. All of this from the UK's highest-rated health insurer on Trustpilot. If you'd like more information about WPA's policies, either for you, your family, or for your business, visit wpa.org.uk. Terms and conditions apply. Pre-existing conditions will not be covered. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.